Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Kevin Jennings. Hey everyone, this is Kevin and welcome to the Launch University Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by my friend, my mentor, uh, Carrie Newhoff. And before we jump into this episode, the reason why this episode is so special to me beyond the, you know, full circle nature of me helping him launch his podcast and now having the pleasure of interviewing him on the Launch University podcast is I've I've heard him say, I've heard other leaders I respect say, you have to work twice as hard on your character as you do on your competency. And when I first heard that phrase, it just rang really loud in my ears and in my heart, but I had no idea what to do with it. I literally thought to myself, what does that mean? Like how, like how, how do I do that? I understand if I don't know anything about email marketing, I Google it. I learn the technical skills. I practice it. And then I go about my business and I didn't know what it meant and how to practice integrity or how to practice curiosity. And so when I thought about that idea, I, I just kind of laid my head and said, okay, well, one day I'll figure that out. And then Kerry wrote a book. He wrote a book called Didn't See It Coming, Overcoming the Seven Greatest Challenges That No One Expects and Everyone Experiences. He sent me an advanced copy. And the minute I read, I said, this is the answer to the question I didn't know how to even ask. And so Kerry is a fantastic leader founding pastor and now teaching pastor at Connexus Church. Um, he's also an author, a speaker, an entrepreneur, a former lawyer, and um, one of a really great friends, really of everyone on this podcast. So Carrie, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Kevin, it's such a joy to be with you. And there's a lot of mutual mentoring going on there, buddy. So you need to know that. Well, okay, I I'm learning it. a ton from you. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, my friend. And so one one thing for those who don't know Carrie, Carrie was on the podcast back when we first started. We are now 100 episodes in plus. And Woo-hoo. I know, right? Celebration. And Carrie was back on episode 15, um, where he was interviewed by Jeff Henderson about launching ideas and mastering your schedule. You should go back and listen to that. He laid a lot of his framework that I use in my life now from his high impact leader course um, about how we can master our energy to achieve more in our day. But for those who are just meeting you for the first time, Carrie, would you at least mind introducing yourself, telling a bit about your story and, and even sharing what you do now? Yeah, sure. Well, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a lawyer. And I went to law school, got into law school of my dreams. It was amazing. Uh, but really discerned as a Christian, someone who's going to be a Christian and practice law, a call into ministry in the middle of law school. Finished law, but then went into seminary, really out of obedience, but being lost because I don't have a typical gift set for ministry. We did a spiritual gifts inventory last year at our church. So I've done many over the years and I thought, well, I'll just do it to be good sport. But what really shocked me were not my top spiritual gifts, but the bottom ones. Hmm. So bottom three spiritual gifts for me, a pastor, are prayer, um, mercy, and helps. So those, those are what you would think a pastor would be great at, and I stink at them. So, you know, I, I clearly, <laughs> it's like, really? You want me to be... <laughs> How does that work? Because I'm not wired for it. Uh, but I am a leader by nature and have been leading in the local church for 23 years. And then a few years ago, started writing books, uh, started blogging regularly, 
launched with you a leadership podcast, just the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. And uh, yeah, then speak to leaders around the world. So it's a lot of fun. And I really enjoy helping in the local church now. We've got the succession plan in place and uh, helping leaders. So that's a little bit about me. Married for 28 years, two grown sons, both off the family payroll. Miracles do happen. <laughs> Imagine one day, right? Your daughter will be off the family payroll. Kerry. I got a long Think way to go, Carrie. I got a long. I, yeah, I'm, yeah. And you don't want to rush it. You I'm don't want to. I'll be honest, though. When I see some empty nesters, sometimes I see the joy on their face and the carefree nature. I, I, I nudge my wife. I'm like, look at them. Look at the joy in their eyes. Look at them. It doesn't stink. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you still love each other. You've got to still love each other. We had to work on that. But we are really, you feel like your kids again. It's great. And, you know, so my kids are 22 and 26, but they are graduated and launched into life. And, you know, we still get to hang out with them. These days, you know, there's some parenting involved, but a lot of friendship. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Carrie, we definitely consider you a launcher. I, I mean, I, I tell people about you. And you're one of my classic examples of how I say, you know, leaders, leaders grow things. And I literally cite you as an example um, because of our work together uh, with the Rethink Group and with your podcast. But you're someone who's hardwired to dream about possibilities and then you feel compelled to develop them. Um, I've seen it firsthand that um, you're going to take whatever you're given and you're going to find a way to grow it. If I give you 100 bucks and I, and I leave you alone, Carrie's going to come back with 150 or 200. It's just how he's designed. Something's going to happen. When I'm not around, that something's going to grow. And so with that said, I've come to believe personally that there are three recurring factors in every launch. There's you, there's other people, and there's uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe that if, that if you start to master self, master you know, leading yourself, leading others, and navigating uncertainty, that you will start to do better in launches no matter what you are launching. And, I, and so with that being said, I feel like your book – you know, didn't see coming false clearly in the leadership of self category and, and, and really probably one of the most profound ways. And like I said, it's, it's, you know, I told you the title earlier, but before we dig into some of the ideas I personally wanted to explore for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs listening to this podcast, would you mind just giving us a snapshot of the book and why you wrote it personally? Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing, I, I love your formula, Kevin, but I just got to say what came to my mind is the other thing that's amazing about the space that you're in, that I'm in, that most entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs are in, is we are living in an age as clouded and cynical as it is where there are no rules. I mean, I live on the internet and mm-hmm. if you can dream it, you kind of can do it. You know, mm-hmm. the, the economy is, is ripe for disruption Hmm. And what I love most about what we do is you just make stuff up Hmm. and you're like, well, maybe this will work. If it doesn't, well, it didn't work. But, you know, you're the entrepreneur. You take the risk. Sometimes you get rewards. Sometimes you don't. Hmm. And books are kind of like that, right? Like you think about this. How do you write a book? I know there's a lot of leaders, most leaders, a leader would be way more likely to write a book than a non-leader. So just speaking to the authors, that's a really fun proposition. And I've heard it said, you probably heard it said that a book is kind of a business card these days. Mm-hmm. It's like I wrote a book. This is my DNA. This is what I'm about. Mm-hmm. People read the book and they're like, I want to get to know Kevin Jennings better. So this one is sort of my character business card. Wow. This, this book is, because of, of all, you know, I've heard Jeff Henderson say it before, but of all the people we lead, I think the hardest person to lead tends to be me. Yeah, It's just really hard. And so this is a book about self-leadership. 
It's about character. And it's about the things in life that nobody sees coming. Because think about this. If you want to know what's at stake, um, if you have a, this happens in ministry, sort of in my field, but it happens in business, it happens in politics, it happens in sports. There are some highly, highly competent people who are not in leadership anymore. You know, some of the most gifted athletes in professional sports sometimes get traded regularly because nobody wants to be in the locker room with them. It's like, you know what? You, you're really good. You're a great running back. You're, you hit you know, so many home runs a year or uh, nobody does tackling better than you in the NFL. But we hate you. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to be on your team. And so they get traded or, you know, CEOs get ousted because nobody can trust them or their personal life collapsed or, you know, maybe things are going well at work, but things are imploding at home hmm. or politicians get ousted because of a sex scandal or a corruption scandal. And, you know, what's the issue there, Kevin? The issue, the issue is never competency. Because these are arguably some of the best people. You don't get, it's that thing about, you know, uh, work twice as hard on your character as you do on your competency. Competency gets you in the room, but character keeps you in the room. Hmm. And that's the difference. Because you look at the long list, the, 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 you know, the body count in leadership in all those fields, and usually it's a character issue. Mm. that that took someone out. And those are the things you don't see coming. So the book really identifies seven big ones, ones that I've had a battle in my own life, cynicism, compromise, irrelevance, disconnection, pride, burnout, and emptiness. And those are the things that will either explode your life or implode you as, as a leader, like emptiness. It's just the, okay, I'm on the top. Why does it not feel so many successful people, right? Particularly if you're a launcher, a starter, you get to the other side of launch and maybe it was successful. Maybe it was a six-figure, seven-figure launch, whatever it was. And you're like, why don't I feel better than I am? Oh my gosh. Like, what yes. is that? That is what that this book is, is designed to address. Man, that's fantastic. Well, I have a question about that and I'm going to save it for later. So, so mm -hmm. transparently, um, because of our work together, you shared an idea for a book title. You said, hey, and back in winter of 2015, you said, Kevin, I got a book title. It's called Didn't See It Coming. At the time, all you did was tell me about the common, you said, you said uh, it's going to be about the common issues people face. And you kind of left it there. I, did, I didn't know the seven, right? But what did you see two to three years ago that compelled you to write the book? Because to your point earlier, as a launcher, ideas and projects happen. Right. So, so I, I wanted to kind of deconstruct the, even the book writing process to say, you have lots of ideas. We and I, you and I have talked about our ideas together. And yet, mm -hmm. but yet you held on to that one. And you, and I'm, I remember you almost telling me, I'm going to table this one, Kevin, for a major publisher. Like something about you knew you, you felt something about this idea that said, this one has to be, has to be stewarded differently, has to be kept differently. And I'm curious to understand what you even saw then. That made you write the book and then hold on to it for that long. And also what you saw today or what you see today that, you know, still makes the book so relevant and applicable to the launchers that are listening. Yeah. What I, what I saw, I had written on leadership issues uh, a lot in the church space. So I'd written a parenting book with our mutual friend, Reggie Joyner, which has done really, really well. It sold over a hundred thousand copies. Then I wrote some leadership books, one on change, one on the cultural issues that church leaders need to pay attention to. And those, those books have done quite well. 
But I wanted to write about personal growth because, as I said, you know, I think these are the things that no one really expects that can really ruin a life. Like, like, okay, sometimes they take you out, right? Sometimes these issues take you out, but sometimes they just stunt your growth. Maybe your company could have been twice the size, three times the size, your church, your organization, whatever you lead. What if it could have been, or what if your family life could have been that much better? Hmm. These are the things. And so I knew it was going to be a book about personal growth. And then the other thing I had is entrepreneurs, we do things on the side pretty well. Everyone's got a side hustle these days. And I had written, I wrote my first book, the one that sold over 100,000 copies. I wrote the first draft between Christmas and New Year's Eve. Hmm. Like I, I got to the other side of Christmas and every day for six or seven hours a day, hmm. I just banged out words. By the end of the week, I had 40,000 words. That's not a bad hack for 100,000 copies over time. And then the other books I wrote, you know, from 5 to 8 a.m. in the morning. And I said with this one, because it's so, it's personal. And sometimes a problem with personal issues like this, you know, you've been to seminars or uh, downloaded a podcast. It's like, it feels like vapor. Okay, what? Like what? And so I knew it was going to take focus. So last mm. summer, I basically cleared my calendar and I only have about two to three hours a day of really good writing in me. Other people have a lot more. And so every day for three months, I just wrote. And we had negotiated a deal with Penguin, their Waterbrook imprint. But I also, New York was very interested in the book, Penguin New York, because they knew it had business application. And so I wrote the book, whether you're a Christian or not, it should work for you, to really nail those issues like cynicism. Like what is cynicism? It feels like, you know, vapor, but there's very practical steps to become uncynical. There's very practical steps toward addressing the emptiness or Mm. burnout in the book. And I knew that was going to take focus. Mm. And so I kind of had to go into the lab, kind of go into my heart and pull out all the principles that I knew were going to work. And I think for, for the most part that that actually was a successful plan. So one of the things that um, you just alluded to, right, you said, hey, the book's about cynicism, compromise, disconnection, irrelevance, pride, burnout, and emptiness. And because you obviously you're a speaker and a good one, uh, you when you communicate about those things, it feels very eloquent. I've read a significant portion of the book, and it's incredibly empathetic, which to me sends off an alarm in my head that says, he has experience here. He's using words, trigger words, that let me know he knows what he's talking about, because these are words I say to myself. So would you mind just sharing how you came to identify these challenges in your own life or even in the lives yeah. of others, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, for sure, Kevin. Um, all of them, to one extent or another, have been part of my personal journey. So I've had to battle pride uh, and I have narcissistic moments. I think most of us do and we live in a pretty narcissistic age. But as I went, because pride, I mean, theologically, that's a big issue. But honestly, in business, I mean, there's so much bravado. And look at the political discourse these days. It's just boast, 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 boast. So what is that? But you know know what I, in my own experience, most of my pride came from insecurity. Hmm. It didn't come from narcissism. And insecure people are proud people. Pride is an obsession with self. Hmm. So I, I spent a lot of time trying to diagnose that. It's like, okay... I, my default is insecurity. Hmm. You know, even though God's given me some gifts and I'm good at some stuff, it's like, I don't feel like I measure up compared to you or to someone else or hmm. this person, that person. And a lot of the people I knew, like personally, and, and I'm fortunate enough to have thousands, 
of people, you know, read or listen or whatever every day. So we hear, we get a lot of mail, way more people are struggling with insecurity. So I wanted to connect those dots. So yes, every single one of these issues is something that I have battled through. And the reason they made the final edition of the book is I think for the most part, they're universal. And if you haven't experienced insecurity yet, at some point you will. If you haven't had the success that brings emptiness, probably at some point you will. If you haven't grown cynical, thank God, you know, that's awesome. But cynicism is going to beat down your door. And then how do you recover optimism? How do you get to the other side and say, you know, once a cynic, not always a cynic. So those are the things. And I think the, the, you, you can come at it and people expect preachers to do this. And I'm a preacher, you know, for the last two decades. It's like, you shouldn't. Well, that's not helpful. Yeah. That, that, you know, that, that doesn't help anybody. So I wanted to come at it from the perspective of we're just going through this together and sure. let's try to figure this out. And here's some things that have helped me. These are some things that have helped others. And I hope they can help you. So that's the posture of the book. One of the stories you, you, you referenced in the book was a season of life when you were burnt out. Uh, would you mm-hmm. mind sharing some of that as well? No, totally. Um, and actually, the burnout, I think, first of all, it's fully my responsibility. So nothing gets you burned out. You get you burned out. But mm. it was part of that entrepreneurial thing that you and I talked about. I came to some very, very tiny churches. So, you know, if, if you're in the business space, just imagine a startup or let's say you bought a dying company. I mean, mm. you know, repo men are coming tomorrow. So, so you bought the company at the 11th hour, you're trying to rescue it. And that was the case with these churches. They'd been stuck or dying for decades. And the average attendance, okay, and if you're wondering, is that a good thing or a bad thing in church world? It's a bad thing. The average attendance at, all, at, at the three churches, because I did the circuit on Sunday morning, was 6, 14, and 23. So adding all three churches together, we had 40 people. That was mm-hmm. about it. So. Wow. These churches were as close to dead as you could be without actually being dead. And by the grace of God, as soon as I got there, we started to see growth. And then we saw a lot of growth. So soon 40 became 80, 80 became 100, 100 became 300, 300 became 500, 500 became 800. And there's a whole lot of story under that. But, you know, I am scrambling to keep up as anybody in a growing organization scrambles. I was scrambling and I didn't have the leadership tools to know how to, how to scale properly. Hmm. So I had a really bad formula. The bad formula was more people equals more hours, hmm. right? More clients equals more hours. Oh. And that doesn't scale. Like it works for a year or two, but it really doesn't scale. And I was cheating sleep and I was just exhausted. In addition to that, my wife and I were not in great space. The pressures of life, the pressures of raising kids, just forced a bunch of issues to the surface in our marriage. And so I'm, I'm doing a lot of counseling all of a sudden. And as I'm doing this counseling, all these issues come up. So it was sort of, you know, the train was, was headed directly for a brick wall. And when I was 40, 41, I just hit this season of burnout. And for me, it was the weirdest thing in the world because I was on top of the world. I'd just given my first keynote address at a major conference, mm. spoken to 2,500 people. Mm. And it was, a, according to everybody who was there, a grand slam home run. That phrase was used again and again. And I was in Atlanta. I flew back to Toronto with my family, got off the plane, and it was like I fell off a cliff. 
So we are part of the fastest growing church in the country in our denomination, one of the largest in the country in our denomination. Uh, by every outward measure, I was successful, but my world just collapsed on the inside. That was uh, the summer 2006. So it got wow. very dark very fast, and there, it was not an easy or quick recovery. Curious. So literally uh, 48 hours ago, I was watching this uh, Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith, their family has a, has a yeah. TV show, a, little, a Facebook watch show called Red Table Talk. And it's Jada Pinkett's Will Smith's wife, their daughter Willow and her and her mother, three generations of, of a fam- women in the family sitting around a table talking about different things in their life. And literally Will Smith was saying this to, to Jada. He said, he said, I remember in six months, our youngest, our, our son had a, had a big hit with Karate Kid. Our daughter had one of the number one songs in the country. You had just gotten yeah. your own big TV show on, T- on TNT called Hawthorne. And our family, and we had just been nominated for Nobel, Nobel Peace Prize. And you were at home crying. You cried for 45 days straight. Oh, and man. she said, she said, actually, Will, it's much longer than that. You, did, you, miscount, you miscounted. And for me, what's hitting me hearing you say that and then hear them say this, at the time of this recording, I'm 33 years old. I've been yeah. married for almost seven years. My first child is about to be three years old. And I feel like I've been battling some of the, a lot of these issues in the book for most of my life. I've always been very ambitious. And when I was young, I viewed my dreams and my future accomplishments as a way out of what I felt like was a tough childhood. And yeah. yet the more I achieved and got what I wanted, the more I felt these challenges became pre- prevalent in my life. And I feel like I've encountered so many unhappy, successful people. And I call them sore winners. You know, I, I you know, like <laughs> that's good. You know, like I keep I keep going I keep encountering sore winners, especially, you know, once again, the space you and I are in, like you're dealing with influential authors, speakers, personalities, and you're like, How is this person so such a sore winner? Like like you're the most respected person in your field and you're and you're miserable. Like, how is it even possible? And so I'm perplexed, you know, and 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 so my question is like, what is it about launching and growing ideas, or dare I say even ambition? That almost like literally pulls this out of us. Like I almost feel like you, you know, you're like, I felt less cynical when I had less. Like how, like, how, like, what is it about literally the pursuit of ideas that almost like just yanks all these issues right to the top? Yep. You know, cynicism is a great place to go because my growing cynicism, I think, was directly tied to, to my burnout. You know, and and cynicism, I think at its heart is a loss of hope. That's what happens to cynics because uh, I think, Kevin, would you say you're, you're, you have some idealist in you? Oh, absolutely. Like optimist. Oh, I'm yeah. totally an optimist and idealist. I think you have to be to some extent to be an entrepreneur because hmm. if you're the doom and gloom guy at 22 going, oh, everything's bad, you know, you're not going to launch anything. You're going to sit in your basement and play video games till you die. That's what's going to happen to you, right? Yeah. If you're simple. <laughs> When you're young, so yeah. I think most, most of us, most of us are are pretty optimistic people by nature, but we don't stay that way. Mm-hmm. And I did a year in law in downtown Toronto, so it was the Canadian equivalent of Wall Street. I'm on Wall Street, and I'm watching these lawyers, and they're all cynical. Kevin, I remember a day where one of the lawyers came into the firm. He was in his 30s. He waved a lottery ticket in my face. So I'm low man on the totem pole, student guy. He waves a lottery ticket in my face and he goes, if I win this thing, you will never see my face again. <laughs> and he owned the firm. So that's like that's really awesome. You imagine going to your employees tomorrow. It's like, guys, if I win this thing, somebody else is chairing the meeting next week. Like I'm gone, right? And I'm like, whoa, how cynical do you have to be? 
to be that way. And he had everything. So I knew that in the 90s, this is the mid 90s, those guys were making bank. Yeah. They're doing the equivalent today <laughs> of close to seven figures a year. All right. Goodness. So he's making a ridiculous amount of money. They got the horse farm north of the city. He's driving a BMW. He's got, I mean, you name it, he can snap his fingers. He's got it. And he's buying a lottery ticket. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, isn't that bizarre? Oh but my it, gosh. So yes. many people can relate to that. Yeah. And, and what is that? So here's how cynicism shows up. That, that ties a few of the themes to the book. Number one, the emptiness of success, right? Uh, so I, I come at things from a Christian perspective. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes writes this. He's, he's the richest guy in the world. He is so wealthy. He makes Jeff Bezos look poor, okay? Hmm. That's how wealthy Solomon is. He, deval- he is so rich. He has so much money that silver gets devalued in his lifetime. Hmm because of his personal treasury. Hmm. Like Bezos is not devaluing the US dollar because of how much cash he has. Neither is Apple. He was that rich. And you know what his conclusion was? Meaningless, meaningless. All this is meaningless. So you think, I'm going to have my own company one day. I'm going to launch the whole thing. It's going to be big. One day we're going to go public or we're going to get some VC funding or you know, we're going to go big or go home. And then you get there and you're like, huh? And cynicism roots itself in knowledge. Hmm. So you, you, you build your dream team and, and then, you know, your co-founder leaves or stabs you in the back or triggers the shotgun clause. And you're like, well, that didn't go very well. So then you go to round two and you hire somebody else and they end up leaving. Or, you know, you have this disgruntled staff or the market turns on you. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, this is why it's so hard. Yeah. This is why it's so hard. So cynicism roots itself in knowledge, which goes back to, why were we so optimistic when we were young? Answer, because we were stupid. That's why, right? You didn't know anything, Yeah. right? You were optimistic about your business before you started a business because you didn't know anything about business or running your own. Mm. But then you run one for a little while and eventually the cynic goes, oh, wait a minute, I know how this ends. And all of a sudden you, you become the shark tank guy and you're advising other people who want to start their business. And you're like, oh, wait, 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 Kevin. You know, no. Let me tell you what. Let me, let me shoot holes in your plan. This is why it's not going to work, not going to work. And you're not even to the point where you're being helpful anymore. Hmm. You're just being cynical. Hmm. You're, just, you're just shooting people down. And that's where cynicism lands you. It lands you in a place where nothing satisfies you. Nothing makes you happy. And I didn't get there in law, but I got there in ministry. Wow. Because after a decade of, you know, we had, we had really good growth, but uh, unfortunately for us, the front door was bigger than the back door, but there was a back door and people left and that stuff hurt. And I just got burned out. Yeah. And so I had to, my, my last 12 years is I've had to try to figure out, can you be an optimist? Can you be, can you get uncynical after you become cynical? And I think the answer is yes, you can, but it's a different journey. So with the time we have left, I want to start to give all of the listeners as many solutions as we can. And so, yep. so I don't want to give, give the whole book away, but would you be willing to at least you kind of share the anecdotes or the best response to each of the seven challenges? You, you, you said cynicism, there's hope, and I would love for you to kind of walk through those. So cynicism, it's hope, which really means, and this is hard for cynics, it was hard for me, you got to take your heart out of its concrete shell. Because you you built cynics have this shell around their heart. You've got to take it out 
You got to hold it out there. And that is the basis for hope where you're like, you know what? I'm going to hire this person. I know it's my third CFO, but I'm going to believe that this could work again. Wow. And mm. there's a vulnerability. Wow. Goodness. There's, there's a freakiness to that where you're like, well, what if it doesn't? But you know what you realize is that 90% of the time it's going to work out okay or you can fix it. Yeah. Um, and wow. for the 10%, read a good book on toxic people. You'll figure some boundaries out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other, the other hack for curio- for uh, cynicism is curiosity. I noticed this while I was trying to regain my optimism, which is that the cynical are never curious and the curious are never cynical, hmm. which is really interesting because the curious ask questions. And so you end up just, you know, if, if the cynic stops asking questions because the cynic knows it all, so I've developed a habit of trying to ask a lot of questions and trying to be very, very open. And I think by trusting again, hoping again, believing again, and cultivating curiosity, I'm way less cynical than I was a dozen years ago. Moral compromise, it's exactly where you open this interview. It's you got to work twice as hard on your character as you do on your competency. And that's hard because your employer is never, they will pay you to work on your competency. Take this course. Here's, uh, you know, here's an allowance. Go do your EMBA, whatever. They won't pay you to work on your character, but they'll fire you if you don't. Hmm. So you have to take up the initiative. So for me, that starts with an hour all by myself every morning where in my case, with my faith tradition, I'm praying, I'm reading the scriptures, I'm confessing my sins. Maybe I'm reading a book that is going to help me grow personally and I'm reflecting. Mm. And then I just, I have to, Jeff Henderson, who, who's on this podcast a lot, co-host, founder, uh, asks this terrifying question that I wish I'd never heard. Uh, <laughs> what's it like to be on the other side of me? Yeah. Just go ask that question a lot and you will learn your character. So then there's disconnection. We didn't really talk about that, but leadership inherently is lonely. Mm-hmm. But a lot of leaders get themselves isolated. Hmm. Uh, solitude is replenishing. It's a gift from God. Isolation is a tool of the enemy. And hmm. so what I've found is I've got to disconnect to reconnect. That means technology. Um, so we don't have a TV on our main floor in our house, uh, nor do we walk around with you know our, our phones all that often. We've never had a TV in our bedroom, we think that's about, you know, love and relationships and the whole deal. And uh, I don't even sleep with my devices in my bedroom anymore. Um, I charge them outside because there has to be a time where you're disconnected. I keep my phone perpetually on do not disturb. I'm sure I've had a whole bunch of texts and some phone calls while we're doing this interview. Mm. I wouldn't even know. But love has a speed. And that speed is slower than you are and slower than I am. So I've got to slow down. And then we get into, so that was disconnection, then pride. So what is the antidote to insecurity? Do you know what one of the best ones is? Uh, And I learned this from our mutual friend, Reggie Joyner. Insecure people will hog the spotlight. Hmm. Insecure people will be like, oh, I can't have you on my podcast because people are going to think you're smarter than I am. Or uh, I don't want this guy as a co-founder because I think he is way worse or way better than I am. So what we end up doing, uh, I think, to overcome our insecurity is we push other people into the spotlight. Hmm. So 
what you can do, the best thing you can do is get around really smart people. If you're the smartest person in the room, you need a new room. And that has really helped me by surrounding myself with smarter, more capable giants. I, I have become a better person. And ironically, that actually makes you more valuable to your company or to your organization if you're an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. because you're the person with all the smart people around you. So mm-hmm. that that's that. What else have we got? So burnout. Mm-hmm. The antidote to that is when I was burned out, I wanted to get back to normal badly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the trouble is normal got me burned out, right? Mm-hmm. That, that wow. formula more people equals more hours. So I had to find a new normal. And my new normal gets summed up for me anyway in this sentence. And there's a whole body of thought around this and a training around it, as you know, Kevin. But, but this is the key to avoiding burnout or staying out of burnout. Live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. That's what your new normal should be. So that means today, a day where I got interviews all afternoon and coffee with a friend before dinner, I want to make sure I go to bed properly. I want to make sure I get some kind of exercise tonight. I want to make sure I've got three square meals in me. Mm. I want to make sure that time with God and I is good. You know, I want to do all those things so that I live in a way today that will help me thrive tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And and then we didn't cover irrelevance. We can back to that if there's time. But um, the the other one is emptiness that we've touched on. And that is, okay, so you get to the top of the mountain, you know, good. You're the greatest of all time. Good for you. Now what? Why do I feel so empty? I really think in most of our lives, there are two kingdoms at work. So one is, in, in, from my faith perspective, the kingdom of God. It is what this life is really about. And if you're, if you're not a Christian, you're listening to this, what I always say is maybe you don't believe in the kingdom of God, but like, just think of a mission that is bigger than you. Hmm. And the other kingdom, the other kingdom is the kingdom of me, the kingdom of Carrie. Hmm. And when the kingdom of Carrie is winning the day, I'm pretty miserable. It's never enough. Hmm. You know, my answer to, well, when will I be happy? If my answer is more, the problem with more is it has no end. Right. Well, how many, how, how many more dollars? How, how much more success? How many more downloads? How many more investors? How, how many more sales? How many more like that? That's the problem. And that's a very self-centered attitude. Hmm. When I die to myself and I'm like, you know what? I'm, my life is going to be about a cause that is bigger than me. Then that's when I start to find fulfillment. So those are some of the the problems and the antidotes, and we go into a lot more detail. Man, that's, that's that was very generous of you to share that much, because um, I, I understand you want to give a book to sell as well. Um, but that was really helpful. So I, I want to make it's just where I mean, obviously you gave way more than I ever thought you'd give. But what is a starting point? So there's someone who's listening right now, and they might say, "I don't know what's wrong in my life. I just feel mm-hmm. like something's off or out of whack." What? Where's their starting point? We kind of give them a quick bulleted list. Like, yeah. Well, how about a free resource? If you go to didn'tseeitcomingbook.com, scroll halfway down the page, you'll see a couple of quizzes that you can take for free. Uh, they're not scientific, but they are helpful. And we've run thousands of leaders through them. One is on cynicism. And it'll help you discover how cynical you are or aren't. And the other is the burnout quiz, where I work, work through 11 signs of burnout. And it'll give you a good indication. So if you want to get a quick calibration, go to didn'tseeitcomingbook.com. Scroll halfway down. You'll see the cynicism quiz and the burnout quiz. You can start there. 
And and the other way to to get around that is to go and talk to somebody who knows you really well and ask them, how do you think I'm doing? Hmm, that's great. And just listen. Okay, for those who are in the community who haven't yet and I was like, encounter these challenges. What can they do to prepare themselves for their inevitable battle or confrontation with one of these issues? Well, this is the fun part because uh, the book is is both cure and prevention. So if you've never burned out, let's take burnout because burnout is is really an epidemic these days, Kevin. And there's there's like full on burnout where like, oh my gosh, I I don't even know whether I can go to work. But then there's what I call low-grade burnout, hmm. where maybe you're showing half to two-thirds of the symptoms, and you're able to go to work every day, you're hanging out with your friends. And I define low-grade burnout as this, the functions of life continue. So yeah, you can mow your lawn, you can hang out with your friends, you can go to Christmas dinner or whatever, but the joy of life is gone. Hmm. So you're doing your job, but there's no fun in it anymore. You got kids, you're married, whatever, you're single, but there's no fun in it anymore. And, and so what I would do with that is I would try to figure out what do I need to change in my life to live in a way today that would help me thrive tomorrow. And without getting in too complicated, we go into a lot more detail in the book. There are really five categories I would encourage you to look at. Spiritual. How are things going spiritually? Are you living in a way today that will help you thrive spiritually tomorrow? Um, emotionally, that's where I was like totally oblivious in my 30s. It's like I didn't, I didn't have emotions. I had happy and angry. That was it. Hmm. Um, but now I realize, oh, no, God made us with, with many more emotions than that. So are you emotionally healthy? Are you living in a way today emotionally? What about relationally? A lot of us in leadership, we give, 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 give. And so those relationships can be very draining. Are you living relationally in a way that's replenishing you? Mm -hmm. And then um, another one would be uh, financially. Fin I know, listen, you're bootstrapping your company or mm -hmm. you got a lot of debt or whatever. Are you living financially in a way that will help you thrive tomorrow? And then physically, like, are you doing the things physically? Like, are you getting some exercise? Are you eating? Are you sleeping properly? Are you getting seven or eight hours night sleep? Uh, are you doing those things? That can get you started. And if you do those things well, guess what? You're probably not going to burn out. Okay. Well, last one. Uh, for those who are in a dark place and, and, and saying, okay, I really resonate with the burnout and the anxiety and, and the potential of depression. Anything you want to say to those friends of ours who are listening who might find us in a dark place right now? Yeah. First of all, you're not alone. And secondly, tell somebody. Hmm. Um, nothing good grows in the dark. Uh, isolation's a tool of the enemy. Solitude's a gift. So who are you going to tell before you finish this podcast? Who are you going to text? Hmm. Who are you going to call? Could be a good friend. For some of you, it could be a doctor or a counselor. For some of you, it could be the suicide prevention hotline. Hmm. Who are you going to talk to? Talk to them now because if you break the silence, it's so healthy. Break the silence before the silence breaks you. Man, well, Carrie, that's amazing. I'm going to close this my own way because I want to make sure you, you get to your next appointment. But how can people connect with you and learn more about the book? Sure. They can go to didntseeitcomingbook.com, didntseeitcomingbook.com or leadlikeneverbefore.com. They'll take you to basically the same place. That's awesome. Carrie, um, you know I personally value you immensely. 
I, yeah, I, I think sometimes I still, still discovering all the ways uh, that you've impacted my life. And I want to personally thank you for your friendship, but also thank you for your time today as well. Hey, Kevin, thank you. I have learned so much from you. I'm a fan for life. And I know I, I love this new chapter of your life where you're encouraging so many people to pursue their dreams. So thank you for doing that in my life. I really appreciate you, Kevin. Absolutely, my friend. Talk to you soon. You betcha. Well, launchers, I hope you got something out of that podcast. I know that was some pretty heavy stuff, maybe heavier than we usually cover here. But the reality of your launch is that you bring you to every launch. And we, we as this team at Launch University, we care about accelerating your personal and your professional development because we know what hangs in the balance. We understand that at some point, the stress of a deadline is going to hit you and how you manage that stress, how you navigate that decision that you're not quite sure what to do, how you navigate the pressures at home while you have pressures at work. That is what makes or breaks the launch because you are the leader and you're the visionary and you're the person who's making that thing happen at work or in your own venture. Because at the end of the day, we want you to make a difference and that happens by you being in healthy place. I personally believe that this book is for every dreamer, every launcher, and every leader. When I had a chance to work with Tony Robbins, I remember him saying, I'm going to paraphrase, but he said, it's the gap between our expectations and reality that breeds disappointment. Uh, that really aligns with what Carrie just shared about cynicism. Um, and I think as launchers, we often see the world and see people and see problems through the lens of possibilities. However, that road, the, the road of making possibilities a reality is hard. And, and so once again, I just keep leaning into that quote about working twice as hard on your character as you do in your competence. And I believe this book, my friends, really is a guide on your journey of character development. And so I really hope you'll get a copy. I've bought over 10 copies for friends and those who I know are in the active part of a launch because for many of us, we didn't have that tool. We just saw our, our leader we worked with that you that was doing things in a way you didn't respect or appreciate or admire. You might have not had the best examples at home, but you're still responsible for you. And that vision you have to change the world through your product or your service that can still be a reality, but it starts with you developing you. And we at Launch University believe that it is possible. With that, I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Launch University podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. That is the way you get every episode delivered to you each and every week. We believe that great launchers commune with great minds. They make that process easy for themselves. And that happens by you allowing to, yourself to grow on the go. Next, we'd like to get a rating or review from you. We'd like to know what you thought about this episode and, and other episodes that we've published thus far. We need your feedback to help this grow and grow it the right way. Um, and so please go on iTunes, leave us a rating or review. It goes a long way also to helping people discover this podcast. Also, 
we want you to check out our show notes. I mean, Carrie had a ton of a ton of information in that and a lot of big ideas. I know that was probably a lot to take in while you're on a commute or in a carpool line or working out or doing yard work or wherever you are. And so we've done that hard work for you by creating show notes and summaries of these episodes. So if you go to Launch University, that's Y-O-U with university.com forward slash podcast, you will get access to the summary of this show. Okay, and one bonus, I guess, and that is the fact that we're answering your questions. There might be something you're struggling with that uniquely needs to be answered, and we want to help you do that. So if you'll go to launchuniversity.com forward slash question, we have multiple ways that you can leave a question for us, and then when we get enough together, we're going to be doing a community wide Q&A episode, and we'd love to have your question be a part of that so we can give you some help and you can help others by uh, being brave, right? By being brave. And so we want to help you and support you, but you're also going to benefit others from your bravery of submitting your question. So on behalf of the entire team at Launch University, thanks again. And we look forward to having you join us next time here on the podcast. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Launch University podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more helpful resources, visit launchuniversity.com.